0: Y'all, 2020 has been rough. Uh, from COVID to murder hornets to presidential debates, it has just given us disaster after disaster. And, and while these things have impacted each of us differently, all of us have had to f- figure out how to deal with loss and disappointment. I think most of us are just done with 2020 and are ready to walk into 2021 with all of its uncertainties just to see something different. The mask, uh, the social distancing, uh, the inability to reach out and offer a hug or a simple touch to our friends, um, to our extended family members, is something that many of us, um, it feels like a loss. I'll be honest, as someone who, has been, who is, is an introvert and has a uh, slight fear of, of getting sick from other people, I'm kind of okay if we keep it till 2022. <laughs> but for me, where I felt the loss the most um, this last year is my inability to travel, um, to lead partnership development trips with our partners um, globally around the world. One of the things that I love to do is to take teams from College Westland to see what God is doing in places like Mexico City or in East Asia or in Sierra Leone. And this past August, like with all of the trips that I had planned for the year, um, we had to cancel our trip to Santa De Vida, a place that I have come to love. Um, I love the culture, I love the people, and it's something that just brings life to me each time I travel there. In 2020, again, with all of its just torturous devices, this past August, I was reminded of this loss almost daily. Um, Social media, Facebook, Instagram, they have these things called memories, where they remind you where you were three, four, five years ago. And for the last five years, up until this year, every August, I have spent at least a week with our partners there in Mexico City. And so pictures kept popping up of, of the people there at Santa Vida worshiping under a tarp roof and then later worshiping under a permanent roof. There were pictures of us traveling various places of Mexico City, uh, seeing different sites. But more often than not, the pictures that I saw were our church and their church gathered around tables with copious amounts of food. And that led me to uh, the two observations. One, when you travel to Mexico City, to Santa De Vida, you are going to eat really well. You're going to experience Mexican food that you will not get even in Marion's best Mexican restaurants. Um, Things like tacos de pescado, something that everybody who's been there seems to love. Um, You're going to experience alambre and Mexican street corn that has been grilled right on the street. Um, You're gonna experience tortillas that have just been pressed and cooked. And then you're gonna experience a soup that I have not been able to find anywhere here in Marion or the United States called pozole. It's this amazing soup, and if you've never had it after the service, look it up. Great soup. The second observation is that we at CWC and, and quite possibly even the greater American church could learn a lot about hospitality from our brothers and sisters there in Mexico City. There, no matter who you are or what your status is, you're always offered a seat at the table. And sure, as uh, visitors to Senator Vita, um, we're treated extremely well. Um, Again, well-fed, treated um, as a partner completely, but I've also watched the way they treat others there at Santa DeVita. There, if you're a teenage addict who has a habit of stealing things from the church to support your addiction, you're never excluded from the table. If you're a brilliant mathematician who is a professor at a local college, there's a seat for you. If you are a homeless El Salvadorian refugee with no legal status, there's a seat at the table for you. If you're a pastor from Marion, Indiana, there's a seat at the table for you. Seats are available to everyone that is there. And more than just simply making space for people, regardless of their status, there's no seats of prominence at any of their tables. You sit where there's an open spot, and it's generally tight and cramped, and you might be sitting beside someone who has a PhD, you might be sitting beside someone who sells things in a market on a daily basis. It doesn't matter. No seats of prominence. And there's no uh, menu, for one for the elites and then one for the less fortunate. Everybody eats together, shares the same meal, and in doing so has a shared experience. And this goes for actual tables where people are gathered to eat, but it also goes for the way they include people in their services and on their leadership teams and throughout all that they do. It doesn't matter to them what society says about you. Rather, what matters to them is how you position yourself before God and before others. And I think a lot of deep and important life lessons can be learned around tables. Um, That's definitely the case here in in Luke 14, in this account of Jesus sharing a meal with religious leaders. And, And we don't know exactly how, Christ was extended this invitation. I mean, generally when we think about Christ and the Pharisees, we see them at odds with one another. Maybe the invitation came um, in an earlier interaction there towards the end of chapter 13. Luke gives us the account of Jesus and maybe the same Pharisees, maybe a different group. And the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and say, you need to get out of here. Herod's plotting to kill you. Jesus, in his typical fashion, just looks at them and says something along the lines of, Herod, that fox, he needs to mind his own business. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do today. Maybe that invitation came to this meal from there, but whatever the case, the Pharisees have invited Christ to entrap him, to trick him, to uh, find him doing something wrong. One, this meal was held on the Sabbath. As you guys have studied scripture, Pharisees, over and over and over again, try to use the Sabbath to trap Jesus. I imagine Jesus, again, just thinking through, oh, here he comes again. They need to get a little bit more creative if they're ever gonna trap me. Second, as we look into the earlier part of Luke 14, as Jesus invited over to this meal, it seems as if the Pharisees had brought over man with severe edema, um, swelling, at his joints to see what Jesus would do. Would he heal him and break the law? Or would he let him go and allow him to still suffer in his pain? And then we also know that this was a potential trap for Jesus because in verse one of 14, it says that all their eyes were watching him. So they had brought Jesus in to try to bait him, to to trick him. But Jesus, he just took the bait and shoved it essentially right back in their face. He heals the man and then basically says, what are you gonna do about it? And then in verse seven, Christ steps steps it up a notch by calling the religious leaders out in two very short, simple teachings or lessons concerning table manners. One commentator, said that Jesus, in these verses, was giving the religious leaders a scandalous alternative to table etiquette. Then, much like today, meals um, can often be used to set you up, to figure out where you stand in society, what your prominence is, um, what your stature is, what table you sat at, whose table you were sitting at, who you were sitting beside, all mattered when it came to determining what your value in that room was. People couldn't determine their own self-worth, rather the people around them determined their value. And Jesus, he was watching all this go down as he's entering into this Pharisee's house and he's seeing these other religious leaders and the guests all jockeying for the best seat in the room. And I imagine it was kind of like a uh, chaotic version of musical chairs where everybody was scrambling back and forth to see if they could get into a better seat. And Jesus wasn't having any of it. He just looked at them and called them out. He says to them, when someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come to you and say, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the lowest and least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. At first glance, this uh, seems like a very passive-aggressive you know, trick that, that Jesus was trying to offer these people, like as if, you know, instead of going to that first seat and potentially being embarrassed, go to the seat at the back of the room. There, in that seat, your host will see you and invite you to come forward in front of everybody. But that's not what christ is saying christ is simply saying be humble and sit down don't strive to be in that important place don't strive to gain more social status be humble and sit down and he reiterates this with his familiar to us words that say for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. In doing so, Jesus is telling us, don't seek out the adoration of those around you. Rather, wait patiently and humbly to receive only that which God can give you. The second scandalous alternative to table etiquette Concerns not how we respond to an invitation given to us, but rather to who we extend our invitations to. The passage says, "'Then Jesus said to his host, "'When you give a luncheon or a dinner, "'don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, "'your relatives, or your rich neighbors. "'If you do, they may invite you back, "'and so you will be repaid. "'But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, "'the crippled, the lame, the blind.'" And you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. As was custom into this culture that Jesus was speaking into, there was this toxic form, maybe mutated form of social capital in exchange. It was that, you know, kind of a very broken form of, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. It was a social system at work that allowed favors and invitations to be extended with strings attached. And these strings weren't necessarily talked about, but they were visible. One commentator wrote, expectations of reciprocity were naturally extended to the table. To accept an invitation was to obligate oneself to extend a comparable one. Jesus is calling out that here as well. He's saying just doing for others so they can do for you. That's not the type of hospitality that I am calling my people to. The radical hospitality that God wants for us now and wanted for these people then is one that would give the invitation freely to anyone and everyone. Throughout the uh, Old Testament and into into the New Testament, the hospitality that God was calling his people to transcended social capital and self-interest. And more often than not, the hospitality that God has called us to will cost us far more than we'll receive from it. Our tables, both literal tables and the table that is our community should not be so full of those that can benefit us that we don't leave space for those who can't benefit us. Instead, space should be made, intentional space for the marginalized, the orphan, the widow, the immigrants, the poor, the sick, the disabled. In these two short lessons, Christ is calling the Pharisees to something greater, and he's calling us to something greater as well. When we seek power and position, more often than not, we will get it, but it'll cost us something from God. When we fail to invite those who can't in return, offer us something back, when we fail, when we exclude those people, it won't cost us anything personally other than something eternal. And while I do think that that Christ was literally rebuking these religious leaders on how they gathered together to share a meal, I think God was saying, these virtues of humility and hospitality should be extended into everything that we do. These two virtues shouldn't be limited to social exchanges around the table. They should guide all of our interactions. There have been a few individuals throughout my nearly 40 years of, of life that have modeled these two virtues well, day in and day out. Um, and I was thinking about people throughout my life this week as I was studying. Uh, Pastor Alex Cecilia was one that naturally came to my mind. Um, some of you have met Pastor Alex when he's visited here. Others have spent more time with him um, there in Mexico City. But, but not a lot of people know a ton about Alex. Um, most people don't realize that he was once a Greek professor um, in a seminary there in Mexico. Uh, most people don't realize that, that Pastor Alex is a highly sought out speaker on leadership um, all around the world, both in our denomination and in other denominations. Um, People don't know that over and over again, because of his leadership skills and because of his humility and hospitality, invitations have been extended to him for more prestigious jobs, both there in Mexico, but even here in the United States. And he's always turned them down because he knows which seat he belongs in. And because of that, at Senna DeVita, there is this natural culture that has been built over years of just welcoming people um, with humility. Another person that that modeled this so well for me um, these last five years as I've been on staff here was Jackie White. And we've talked a lot about Jackie, uh, but she was constantly working behind the scenes here uh, to make the rest of us on staff look better. And she oftentimes did these things knowing that that person she was helping would receive praise. And likely none of it would come her way. Uh, She showed hospitality. She loved to have people over at her house. And it seems so foreign to me. But on Sundays, she would you know, a lot of times, just walk up to a group of strangers and invite them over to her house for Sunday lunch. She was humble, and she constantly showed hospitality. So much so that she was constantly thinking about you guys as a church over that of herself. Um, One of the last projects that we as a staff got to work with Jackie on uh, before she passed, what was something that just shows her love for you. Um, Back before the pandemic, um, she came to us as a staff and and with this idea, she's like, you know, I wanna bless the congregation. I want our staff to write an Advent devotional and give it to our people at Christmas. She was thinking about you. Um, It wasn't like, what can I get this Christmas, but rather, what can we offer the church? And so throughout the last few months um, leading up to her passing, she gave us as a staff input. She chose passages that she wanted to pass on to you, and she constantly encouraged us to keep on moving forward in this. And so because of Jackie, in a few weeks we will be Gifting these um, to you guys, a devotional for you, written by us as a staff. And there's been a few other people in my life that have really shown me this well. But I wonder how these two virtues of humility and hospitality could begin transforming our church if we lean to it, into them at an even uh, deeper degree. Taking the lowest seat or lowest place as a large church, it can be challenging. Uh, We just celebrated 125 years. Over those 125 years, we've grown in numbers, and we've grown in influence. Um, Our influence within the denomination, um, within the world. And we have this amazing facility that God's given us. not only here, but across the street. I don't know if you guys noticed the fences are down. That project, Body Shop, is almost completed. And we're a congregation that is extremely generous with our financial resources and intellectual resources, both to our local community and our world. And my coworkers and, and fellow staff members, I'm constantly amazed at what how they're giving to other churches and resourcing other people as well. And I've deeply come to love this church because we position ourselves very generously. But in taking a lower place or a lesser seat, it might mean that we begin diverting some of that influence that we have onto other churches. It might mean that we share our resources at an even greater scale. And it might even mean something that the American church really struggles with is not see other churches in our area as a competition. But rather as an extension of the body of Christ. Willing to collaborate and partner with those other churches on an even grander scale. It might mean that God is asking us as a church to partner with other organizations at an even greater scale as well, instead of starting up new ministry initiatives within our church. Currently, um, as a church, we partner with three amazing organizations, uh, Kinwell Academy, Thriving Families, Thriving Grant County, and Hope House. These organizations are doing amazing things in our community, from education to recovery to community development. And I know each of them would welcome more resources from us, both financially and through volunteer times. And I would love, personally, as the outreach pastor, to connect you to all of them. Out of the two virtues that Christ spoke on this passage, hospitality can be seen as maybe the easier one to lean into. Um, A couple of years ago, uh, Pastor Ethan was getting signage made throughout the facility. He recognized that Clear signage it was a very small but significant form of hospitality. And he went as far as to not only put the signage in English, but he did it also in Spanish. And at first, that didn't seem like a big deal, but it has meant a ton to our Spanish primary speaking neighbors here in the community. Uh, Pastors Vicki and Pastor Stephanie have been, begun opening up Fridays. Um, the splash area for what we're calling Wi-Fi Friday. Francis Slocum has identified students that need a little bit of extra help, whether it be access to internet or um, a tutor, and and they've been opening up this space to welcome those kids in on Fridays as they do their e-learning. Doesn't seem like a big act of hospitality, but it has meant a lot to the children and the families that are a part of that. So much so that some of those families are now finding community within the body. So these small acts do matter. Acts of hospitality draw people to the table. That invitation to come partnered with meeting real needs encourages people to come and be a part of community. Though as the people join a community, within the body of Christ, they oftentimes bring their differences with them. In order to show good hospitality, whether it's at your dinner table or here at the church, we have to leave room for individuals to bring their differences to the table. If there isn't space to allow for accommodation, Outsiders will never feel that they truly belong at the table. Not long um, after I came here uh, on staff at CWC, I think I was sitting somewhere towards the middle. And and oftentimes we'll turn and look around um, just to see all of you guys. But one of the things that I noticed right away is is we're a pretty homogenous church. I don't know if anybody else has noticed that but ethnically, um, socioeconomically, educationally, there we share a lot of things in common. And, and as part of being the outreach pastor, one of the things that I'm constantly thinking about is who isn't gathered with us on Sunday mornings and why are they not gathered? And so in that process, I began reading books on multicultural churches and multi-ethnic movements Um, way too many books. And then I began having conversations with leaders and attending uh, conferences on this topic. Um, And all of that was great. But one of the things that really helped me and was just a great piece of advice came from a friend and fellow Wesleyan pastor, Reverend Santis Beatty. and, And he shared with me In order for churches to become diverse, not just ethnically or socioeconomically, but just diverse as a whole, churches and the congregants have to be willing to give up 20% of their comfort. Just 20%, 80%, keep that comfort, just give 20% away. So that those who are coming in who are different, in that margin of 20%, they can find their 80%. So simply a willing to give up comfort um, is an act of hospitality. As a church, let's seek the lowest seat at the table so that God, in whatever way he deems fit, can later elevate us. And as we invite others to our table, let's begin inviting people that maybe don't look like us, maybe don't speak the same language, Uh, maybe come from different backgrounds. Let's invite and make space at our table for orphans, for widows, for immigrants, for the poor, the sick, and even our neighbors who come from other ethnic backgrounds. It might be uncomfortable. It might transform and shape who we are to look a little bit differently, Uh, but it'll be worth it. Today... um, as we shift from me to we, both as individuals and as a body of believers, God might be asking us to take that back seat. He might be calling us out to say, you've been leaving people out of your table. He might be calling us to something different. It'll, if we listen to God and we take the posture of humility and we lean into hospitality, it might be uncomfortable, um, but it'll be it'll make us better, both as believers and as a church. So today, or quite possibly later this week, as you gather around your tables, whether it be your dinner table, small group table, I've got a few questions um, that I want you to personally wrestle with and collectively wrestle with and so the first one what areas of your life have you sought the most prestigious seat at what's that place that you want to be recognized you want people to see you in the highest level two what types of people have you forgotten to invite to your table again whether that's your table at your house table that makes up your close group of friends, or even here to this body? And then three, what is it that you could give up so that others could find space at our collective table?